Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talia Dindy. Today, our very special guest is Martha Teddenborn. I am so excited for you guys to learn about the work that Martha is doing. Martha Teddenborn, RD, is a registered dietitian and certified primal health coach with over 30 years of experience working in various areas of nutrition. Her private health coach practice The Cancer Doula promotes a low-carb, whole foods-based approach to disease prevention and cancer symptom management. When diagnosed with stage 1 ovarian cancer, Martha began exploring the research of the disease and discovered the science of cancer metabolism. This led to her to develop and use a protocol of ketogenic diet with targeted therapeutic fasting to significantly impact her response to chemotherapy. Inspired by her own journey, Martha wants to help others see cancer differently. To see it as an experience that will give you strength, wisdom, and more love for your body and life than ever before. Martha, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thanks for inviting me, Talia. I'm so glad we connected. (laughs) I am too. I'm so interested in the work that you're doing. And I would like for the audience to learn more about that as well. Um, It's a benefit to them. So Martha, if you could please get started and just start off with um, your experience with cancer. Let's start there. Sure. So um, I am a dietitian. I had taken some extra health coaching and very much identified as being a healthy, low carb um, postmenopausal woman who had this great healthy body that could do anything that I wanted it to do. Not that I'm fit, overly fit or anything, but you know, I could do anything I wanted and nothing ached and I took no meds and I was just, you know, loving life. And about three years ago in the summer, I got a text message from a girlfriend that said, so what are you up to on your plank? Because she had been doing, she'd been doing the plank exercise and Mm -hmm. I had sort of indicated I was interested in doing that as well. And I hadn't done one in a while. So (laughs) I laid down on my belly on the living room floor and immediately there was a lump there. There was something there that had never been there before. Um, so I just, I immediately sat up and after I poked around at it for a a minute, and then I sat up and called my doctor and, um, started down the path of discovering what this was. It turned out to be a huge ovarian cyst. 
just a simple fluid-filled cyst, but it was already uh, 16 centimeters across when they found it, which is about six inches. So big. And um, because it was so big, it needed to come out. Um, they did the blood work to see if it was cancer and the value that was returned on my CA-125, which is the cancer marker for ovarian cancer, was just barely elevated. And again, it's not a great test. It has other confounding factors. So nobody thought it was cancer. So it took about two months till I had laparoscopic surgery that ruptured this great big cyst and, and uh, deflated it and then sucked it out had both my ovaries and both my fallopian tubes removed by laparoscopic surgery. Um, and uh, then came home and was recovering. And six days later, I got a phone call that said, come back and see the surgeon um, tomorrow morning, bring your husband. <laughs> and I just kind of went, Oh crap. I know that's not good. I mean, I work in healthcare, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I knew what it meant right away. So that was the start. Um, then I got referred to a gynecological oncologist at our local, not our local, our regional cancer center, which is about three hours drive from where I live in rural Ontario. And, um, and so I, I made the decision, um, to have chemotherapy because the cyst was ruptured. It was stage one, but it was ruptured inside me. So at that point, any tumor was gone, but we were chasing individual cancer cells, we, you know, and you, and the thing is you can't even know if they're there or not, mm -hmm. but you still have to um, act like they are. Yes. Yeah. So I ended up having six rounds of uh, chemotherapy with paclitaxel and um, carboplatin. And I had the carboplatin administered interperitoneally. So I actually had a port put in on my rib cage, it was attached to my rib cage. And they actually poured that chemo drug sort of directly into my abdominal cavity so that it would kind of swish around my internal organs. Because the kind of cancer I had, um, high grade serous carcinoma, is, is considered a kind of a sticky cancer. So it doesn't mm -hmm. escape into your lymph system as readily as some other cancers mm -hmm. to metastasize outside of the pelvic and abdominal cavities, but it likes to seed tumors around the inside of your abdominal cavity. So I made the decision to have the one chemo drug put in um, through that chemo port. So that meant I had to go to London uh, to this regional can cancer center in London, Ontario, um, every three weeks for, um, for six treatments. And it was winter in Ontario. <laughs> it was, oh boy. Yeah, it was a bit hairy. Um, but, uh, but anyways, so I got through that and, um, and then had the port removed again, another little surgery. Oh, and I had a hysterectomy in there too. So I had a, mm -hmm. another um, fairly significant surgery. Abdom First time in my life I've had abdominal surgery. Oh. So, yeah. Like, like I said, healthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I can relate to how you could have been feeling or what you could have been thinking because it, it, that was kind of the same scenario for me. It's like, you're very healthy. And then you get this diagnosis and you're like, well, where did this come from? <laughs> you know, yep. and exactly. the way that you found it, Martha, just doing a plank exercise, laying on your stomach. And that's yeah. how there, there's nothing in my life that gets me to lay down on my belly. I mean, I don't have puppies or grandchildren or, you know, and I, and I'm not a big 
exerciser other than riding my bike and, you know, hiking, things like that. So I just, and I don't sleep on my belly. And of course with the pandemic, I haven't been for a massage or anything like that in forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I just, I literally hadn't laid down. I just knew that my pants were fitting a bit tighter that summer that I hadn't lost the couple of pounds that I usually sort of put on every fall and take off every spring, you know, five, Mm -hmm. seven pounds, something like that. I hadn't Mm -hmm. taken it off that summer. And so my pants were tighter and that's all I sort of um, attributed it to. I never thought about it being anything else. Wow. So yeah, out of the blue. And you know, it really, um, it hit me in my identity as a healthy person, like as a dietitian that promotes health and tries to be a, you know, not that I'm perfect because I'm not, but tries to be a living example of healthy, awesome aging, you know, like life's not over when you go through menopause sort of uh, person. And then to have this kind of come out of left field and smack me up the side of the head, it was, it was a real blow to my, um, my personal and professional identity. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. And so Martha, was the hysterectomy that you had, was that a recommendation in addition to your treatment or was that something? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of completed what they called the standard of care for ovarian cancer. Um, And I had to have a surgery anyways, to put the chemo port in place. Mm -hmm. So I was going to end up with either a three inch incision in my lower abdomen or a six inch incision, sort of depending on whether or not I decided to do the hysterectomy. And I'll tell you, that was a really hard decision for me because Mm -hmm. there was nothing wrong with my uterus. (laughs) I wasn't using it anymore. I'm over 60. I mean, I was 58 at that point, I guess, but um, I wasn't planning on using it for anything. And, but I'm also of the, don't take anything out that God put there because it's meant to be there sort of feeling. And Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a hard decision, but eventually I did decide to go with the hysterectomy and, um, and I could tell from my oncologist's response that that was the right answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, um, I could see why that would be recommended. And like you said, those are tough decisions that come along with, you know, being diagnosed with cancer and um, that's going to look different for everyone. It sure is. Mm Yeah. And it was like I say, it was a really it when he finally got me to say, okay, it felt like somebody was ripping it out of my mouth. <laughs> you yes. know. Um, but the moment I did, he he said, uh, he said, Okay, now I want you to own that decision. Um, and mm-hmm. don't be second guessing yourself. And like, I want you to own that. And that's actually it became a chapter in my book, own your decisions, because mm-hmm as hard as they are, you, you can't keep going back and forth. There's too much stress in that. That's right. And I think this would be very helpful for the audience, Martha. How did you make your decision? Did you base it on research that you had done information that the doctor had shared with you? What helped you to come to make that decision? Um, information from him. And he was, he, you know, I, I tried to get him to tell me what I should do to do. Yes. (laughs) I I even said, so if this was your wife, what would you be recommending? And he wouldn't bite. He wouldn't go for it. He's good though. That's a good doctor. 
it is a good mm-hmm. doctor. He was an amazing doctor. Um, and so eventually I saw the reasoning for it. And, and like I say, I was going in for surgery either way um, because I had made the decision to do the interperitoneal chemo. And so, and I also knew I had concerns about, for example, what that was going to do to my future. What was mm-hmm. it going to do to my sex life? Um, you know, I mean, I'm happily married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But then I also know probably dozens of women who have gone through life without a uterus and, you know, they seem to be fine. So I could probably do this. And, and that was, that was some of my concern was, you know, what is this going to do to me in terms of my overall health and my overall life and my relationships and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but when, yeah, when I looked back and kind of went, okay, I know this person, this person, this person, and this person, and they've all had hysterectomy, some of them in their thirties, Wow, you know, and they still have happy lives. Like, okay, you can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that was, yeah, that was part and parcel of what I was going through in making that decision. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you're still here with us. So that's, that's a blessing and for a good cause. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. And those are so many tough decisions that you have to make. And I just want to thank you for sharing how you work through that, because for some people, they get so paralyzed by those difficult decisions that they don't take action at all. And so um, I think sharing your experience is uh, very helpful for others. And so also, what was your healing process like, Martha? Um, Actually, it was it was a little complicated in that I got into a whole lot of um, bladder spasming. So the actual hysterectomy um, post-surgical course was really simple. Uh, I mean, my, my incision just healed up like a dream. Um, I was, you know, I, I was feeling really good with the exception of having these the, like uh, spasms in my bladder. They were excruciating. Um, and I, you know, I did urine samples to make sure I didn't have a urinary tract infection or something. And I didn't, um, and I ended up going to a couple of, you know, after hour clinic sort of situations, not emerged so much, but, uh, after hours to be able to, um, see somebody and find out what it was because they hurt so bad when they did spasm that I could hardly walk. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, I was using a heating pad and I was kind of sitting curled up in my armchair and it was Christmas because I had the surgery at the beginning of December. So, you know, Christmas is like, just as I'm supposed to be feeling fine again, um, I'm into this, this pain. So, um, so yeah, I went to, to see a doc and he gave me, I said, you know, like I need some buscopan or something like I need something that will stop the spasms. And he gave me a prescription for it. And I hobbled my way down to the nearest pharmacy and handed it in. And they kind of went, um, yeah, we haven't got any of that. It's back ordered. Like it's unavailable. And I'm like, <gasps> Oh no. Yeah. Um, so then I, I had to get a second script for a different drug and, and that did help it settle down until and it was just part of the healing process because eventually after about three weeks it was over Mm -hmm. you know the the spasming kind of stopped and everything was fine 
Um, but I had a little numbness around some of the tissue in my groin, um, like right in the, the folds where your leg folds into your groin. Um, I had an area of numbness that almost extended into one of my, my labia. And I was concerned about that. But as the doc said, you know, that's your body was never meant to be cut open and things take time to kind of find their way back to healing. And that again, I was concerned, but it, it resolved after a couple of months and it was gone as well. So, Mm -hmm. so at this point I say, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I'm back to dealing with only the, um, the things that naturally come with being postmenopausal and estrogen deficient, which is, you know, things like vaginal dryness and stuff, but Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, everything came back to normal. Good, good. Martha, while you were talking, I this question popped into my mind. How do you think your experience would have been different had you not been a part of the healthcare system? You were not a registered dietitian and maybe you didn't know people in the healthcare community. How do you think your cancer experience would have been different? Or do you think that it would have at all? Oh, I, th- I think it probably would have because mm-hmm. um, people who don't understand physiology don't see the processes the same, the, the, the processes that your body goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that would upset other people, I could sort of self-diagnose, I could also appreciate that they were transitory, you know, like the bladder spasms and stuff. So, I mean, they had to be dealt with because I could hardly stand up sometimes for the pain, (laughs) but, um, but I knew that they weren't likely to be a permanent thing. Um, And I knew how to access services in the system Mm -hmm. because I've been part of the system. So, you know, that's one big thing. The other big thing, of course, is that I got, you know, I went down the rabbit hole of research on ovarian cancer and, uh, and cancer nutrition and chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's where the whole shift in my, my passions came from was Mm -hmm. because of that. So, okay. Thank you for sharing that. Let's get to that. And so you have a health uh, coach practice called the Cancer Doula. And I I found that so interesting because I call myself a Cancer Doula. So please share with the audience um, a little bit about how you came to call your business that and um, just the reasoning behind it. Well, you take all the credit for having come up with the idea of the Cancer Doula. (laughs) Um, my, my passion after this was all over was to be able to share what I learned about cancer metabolism and the role of, of food and diet and some of the therapies, um, such as fasting that you can use to really make a difference in not only cancer prevention and cancer, reducing the chance of recurrence, but also immediately in how your body handles chemotherapy. But I have a registered dietitian license, um, like a designation through the province of Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I am not allowed to practice as a dietitian beyond a couple of Canadian provinces that have reciprocal arrangements. And I can't practice as a dietitian in the US because I haven't got my license through the US. I could get it, but 
I could get it nationally, like recognition, but then mm-hmm. every state has its own rules around yes. um, who can practice with who. And so that became a really big complicated thing. If I wanted to be able to coach people and help people with, you know, managing their diagnosis, managing chemo, um, you know, healthy eating, all that kind of stuff. So I needed to find a way to be able to help people, but not in the role of a dietitian. Mm -hmm. And as I went looking for ideas, one of the ideas I came across was your website. Um, Mm -hmm. And I went, there's actually some articles too that have that talk about the concept of a cancer doula, because Mm -hmm. a a doula is defined as a person who helps somebody who's going through a process. So Mm -hmm. you, you don't, for example, birth the baby, as the doula, that's the midwife's job, but you support the mom who's going through the process of birthing the baby. And, you know, if, if you're a doula for somebody who's dying, you support the person who's going through the dying process. You don't prescribe the medications. You don't, you know, you, that's not your role. You're not mm-hmm. treating the illness as much as you're supporting the person who's going through the process. And that's really, it spoke so deeply to what I wanted to do. Um, And it allowed me to have a supportive and educational role without being a dietitian and providing medical nutritional therapy outside of my realm of of, um, license, right? So that was kind of why I came up with the idea um, that I needed a different way to approach it. Mm -hmm. And as I started looking, I found articles, then I found your site. And, um, and yeah, that really deeply spoke to the role that I wanted to have in helping people through cancer. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I figured there's enough room in the world for two of us, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. And, you know, that's, I had originally, I can relate to that, because I had originally, um, when I first started this, I was calling myself a coach, and it just didn't feel right. And so I had knew about birth doulas and I said, let me just really dig into this word doula. And that's what led me um, to calling myself a cancer doula was because of the supportive side, like you said, and um, just making sure that people understood that you're not going to have to go through this thing alone. I'm here to guide you. And so um I totally get why you chose that um, word, those words as well. So thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you for trailblazing in terms of (laughs) using it first. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And so I want to learn more about this, Martha. Um, Can you please give us an overview of the cancer metabolism research? And it looks like, you know, you followed Walter Longo, Thomas Seafree, and some other individuals. So can you please share more information about that? Sure. This will have to be awfully high level because (laughs) holy cow, it's a deep field. But (laughs) um, basically, about 100 years ago, um, it was determined that by actually researchers in Germany and Austria, that cancer has a different way of metabolizing energy than healthy cells does. And um, in fact, a researcher in Germany, um, Otto Warburg, won the Nobel Prize in 1931 for describing this um, different metabolism. 
And then, of course, World War II happened, Nazis, um, you know, he published, of course, everything he would have published would have been in German. And anything German was kind of not respected after the war. Um, And so his research was all kind of just mothballed. Um, And then at the same time, Watson and Crick um, were able to describe the form uh, or the um, the formation of DNA and RNA and that whole genetic process for the first time, and it became clear that cancer had a, had um, genetic mutations or like a disordered genetics as well, and so the entire machinery of the cancer industry kind of veered off towards genetics and left metabolism behind in the dustbin. So it's only been in the last twenty years or so that some researchers have started to look back at um, how cancer actually uses energy, which kind of energy forms it can use and what it requires for growth. Um, Cancer basically does not burn um, a variety of fuels in the same way as a healthy cell. So our cells, almost all the cells in our body have little engines inside them called mitochondria. And the Mm -hmm. mitochondria contain chemical pathways that break fuel down into little energy tidbits called ATP. And that's the actual currency of how we burn, how we use energy is ATP. And it can be created from, um, from carbohydrates. It could be created from fatty acids. It can be created from ketones. Um, It can be created from protein in the, some proteins in the case of starvation, generally the body won't burn proteins unless you're absolutely starving. Mm -hmm. Um, But cancer cells, their mitochondria, when you look at it, appears to be damaged. And so they, uh, they burn, they create energy in a, a much more ancient process that actually takes place in the fluid of the cell called the cytoplasm. And it only really uses glucose, which is blood sugar Mm -hmm. or uh, glutamine, which is a very simple amino acid. And those fuels don't, that process doesn't produce nearly as much energy, but it's also very fast. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the one that we use if, if we have an adrenaline rush and the fight or flight instinct and all that. So, I mean, we, we can all do it. It's just Mm -hmm. that cancer cells have to do it. And cancer cells don't have a turnoff switch. They yes. don't have any way to downregulate. So they are hungry all the time. Mm-hmm. They're looking for extra glucose. They're looking for extra insulin to allow to hook onto their cells and allow the glucose in. Um, and so, you know, anytime you're talking about metabolism, you're talking about fueling. And when you're talking about fueling, you're talking about food. So, mm-hmm. you know, it comes right back to my you know, my specialty, (laughs) um, which is food and nutrition. And particularly because I was already a long ways down the path towards low carb, um, in terms of my extra training and my private practice and all that sort of stuff, um, much more. So I was already a bit of a renegade as far as, um, dietitians go. And it, uh, it totally dovetails perfectly with the low carb, um, particularly ketogenic diets. And, um, and the use of fasting to really reduce um, your, your fuel supply mm-hmm. um, really stresses the cancer cells. When you stress them, they can't grow, they can't divide as readily. Yes, they're, they're under stress. And then you hit them with something, um, whether that's chemotherapy or radiation or high dose vitamin C or hyperbaric oxygen, there's all kinds of, you know, traditional and some alternative treatments 
Thomas Seyfried, the researcher from Boston College, he calls this his press pulse theory. So you <laughs> apply pressure, you mm -hmm. stress those cancer cells, and then you pulse or you hit them with something and it hits them while they're down sort mm -hmm. of thing. And so it, it actually makes the treatments more effective. So wow. the other thing, the other big thing that I really got into was um, the work of Dr. Walter Longo, who's from California, um, into the use of fasting to, um, to make, again, cancer cells more stressed so that chemotherapy and other treatments are more effective. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that, that fasting does, which is just huge, is that when your healthy cells um, sense that there's not a fuel su supply coming in, mm -hmm. they will quiet down their metabolism. They will go into kind of a maintenance cleanup mode right? I call it stealth mode mm -hmm. because basically chemotherapy is a drug that is targeted at the, the signals or the signposts of fast metabolism. Mm -hmm. So if you can downregulate your healthy cells so that they are not metabolizing as rapidly, then they just quiet down. The cancer can't quiet down. So it's sitting there with this red lights flashing, right? Kind of going, pick me, pick me. And the chemo <laughs> goes right for the cancer cells mm -hmm. who are stressed. Therefore it works even better. Yeah. And your healthy cells are not affected as badly, which means less side effects. Mm -hmm. So my personal experience with a, you know, full on dose of paclitaxel and carboplatin was that, yes, I lost my hair. Yeah. Um, but I had nothing in the way of mouth sores. I, I had almost no nausea and required almost no extra medications for, for nausea. In fact, pretty much zero, mm -hmm. maybe one, one extra pill per cycle, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I never threw up. I never missed a meal unless I was fasting. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I made all the meals in my house. I make the meals. So I prefer it that way. I might just, you know, might just be bacon and eggs or something, but we always <laughs> yeah. had a meal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I had no GI upset, no mouth sores, um, minimal of the body aches, that kind of stuff, no peripheral neuropathy. And I was terrified oh. of getting the nerve Lucky. damage. Right. Um, I mean, I type for a living. I, I knit like knitting is my, my mental health break. And I, I just those things I was terrified of my hands or my feet being damaged um, nerve wise. Mm -hmm. So and no problem. The only thing I got into was some constipation and that was my own fault. Um, and so it didn't take long for me to find some nutritional um, low carb, like keto compliant nutritional ways to address the constipation. And I got that under good control, but okay. for that first cycle, when I didn't know what was happening, oh my goodness, I got into some trouble. <laughs> yeah. And it comes fast. <laughs> it, it happens so fast, you know, so you yeah. kind of have to know some of these things ahead of time, which we don't always know. So, but well, and yeah. I've always had a body that I could just kind of say, yeah, just hold yeah, on. It'll be it'll fine. Be, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You know, and uh, yeah, no, it wasn't <laughs> between the yeah. steroids and the chemo itself. I, yeah, it was, uh, it was hard for a few days, but yes. And, you know, too, it, thank you for, you know, talking about the side effects, because that's something that a lot of people are surprised by, you know, there's so many different side effects, some that you don't even think about, and they don't always come right away. Sometimes they're delayed. And so um, having something like this 
um, the chemo fasting protocol is very important. And Martha, please share with us how you built this chemo fasting protocol. Um, It was based on the work of Dr. Walter Longo, who had done a lot of studies um, into using fasting, both pre and post chemo, like through the actual chemo application or administration period, um, with the goal of, say, downregulating healthy cellular activity. And he had published in 2009 a case series of about 10 people with a variety of cancers that had used the chemo fasting, like a fasting um, period, either pre or post chemo. Mm -hmm. And then he assessed them for their side effects. Mm -hmm. And there were people in there, like, like say 10 individual cases, but there was one woman in particular um, that I really identified with. And she used fasting, I think for, she didn't use it for the first one, or maybe she did for the first couple. And yeah, she did for the first couple. And then somebody talked her into like, oh, this isn't good. You should be eating. Right. Yes. And so she ate her way through the third cycle, had terrible side effects, and then just kind of went back to screw you. And I'm, I'm going back to fasting. And her, um, her course then became lighter again. Mm. And what I found too, was that when I did it, every time I went through chemo, the side effects were less than they were the one before. And that's the opposite to what most people find that the, the hardness or the difficulty of the chemo treatments are cumulative. Each one is worse Mm -hmm. than the one before I was the opposite. Like by the time I got to my last cycle, I think I took one post chemo steroid, like maybe the night I got home after my chemo or something, but every cycle I was cutting back on my post chemo pills. Yeah. Less every time than the time before. So that by the time I got to the last cycle, I was taking nothing after the day of chemo, like nothing. And I would say I was never horizontal, never. I'd have about three or four low energy days where I kind of, you know, spent a lot of time curled up in my recliner and knitting or whatever. And, but I'd still get up and make meals. You know, I might get up, empty the dishwasher and then climb back into my chair, just something to do, you know, walk mm-hmm. up to the end of the driveway for the mailbox or something mm-hmm. just for fresh air and a, a change of, you know, physical change of orientation from yeah. reclining <laughs> to upright. Um, but never, never did I have to lie down. Um, I hardly even napped in the middle of the day. And the only time I ever nap is if I'm like really sick. So, um, so yeah, I, I, had an amazing course. My blood values stayed like they dropped um, because my bone marrow was affected. That's a second week effect, right? Mm-hmm. Your hair loss and stuff that and your bone marrow, those are, and I didn't get that at first, which is why I got into trouble with constipation is that the, the chemo drug stays in your system for like pretty much the whole three the whole weeks. Time? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's cycled out every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and week two has its own set of side effects as that drug gets metabolized. Right. And that's mm-hmm. when the bone marrow gets affected. And so your hemoglobin drops and your white cells drop and your platelets drop and stuff. But every single cycle, I would bounce back, right up, not up into normal, but up into an adequate range that they never had to cut back on my chemo um, because of the blood values. I never required any immune boosters like the Neuprogen or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I, I really attribute a lot of that to what I did in terms of the keto, the very strict keto diet for the five months that I was doing keto chemo. 
um, and the fasting around each, uh, each of the cycles. So Martha, how long were you fasting? Tell us what that looked like. Yeah. So I would fast 36 hours before my chemo treatment. Um, then I, my, my chemo day was about 10, 12 hours long. It was a long day. (laughs) Yeah. Because I had to have the, the two drugs put in separately, like the, so I had one IV and then one by the peritoneal, um, Mm -hmm. port. And, and then of course there was the three hour drive home afterwards. So, um, and then I would fast for 24 hours after the chemo. So it ended up being 72 hours for me. Um, now I've coached other people who can't make it that long, but Mm -hmm. even doing 24 hours on either side of their chemo is, is somewhat helpful in getting your body's healthy cells to slow down a little bit so that they don't get hit as much with the, Mm -hmm. with the chemo drug. Um, so I would, I would eat supper Tuesday night. Then I would not eat all day Wednesday, Mm -hmm. Wednesday night. We would drive to London, stay in a hotel. Thursday all day was my chemo treatment. Thursday night was the three hour drive home. And then Friday supper, I would start eating again. Um, And it wasn't a water fast. It was a supported fast. I'd use black coffee, um, herbal teas, probably maybe one cup a day of like a bone broth, which especially the day before chemo, because you feel good. So you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Post chemo, you don't, you know, you're just kind of, eh. so mm-hmm. you, it's okay to not eat. Um, but uh, yeah, so it wasn't say it wasn't a water only fast. It, okay. and, and I mean, it's winter and I needed hot drinks, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it, it worked out. Yeah, it really did. And because nobody knew about it. That's why I decided I needed to start a blog. And then once I started the blog to tell people kind of my story and what I was finding out, then I, somebody said, Oh, you should write a book. You write well. Okay. So I wrote a book. (laughs) Um, And then I kind of got started as I was feeling better that I wanted to start supporting other people. And that's when I looked at rather than the private practice I used to have that I would kind of move into this virtual cancer doula idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to thank you for sharing this information because I think it's so critical and it's such a blessing to have options and know what's out there. And so that is why I started this podcast is to help get the information out there from different people from all walks of life who have experienced so many different things. And I just love that someone can go to your website or your blog and learn more about this or reach out to you. And we'll get that information before we end where people can go and um, look you up and find out more information. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. I really, I want people to feel empowered that they're not victims of the cancer process, that they're partners in their treatment. And this is certainly something that people can do that, that is extremely effective and that makes you feel like you're really, um, you know, you're part of the process and you're in control of something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So important during a time when you, in a sense, feel like your body is being attacked, you know, just being able to make those decisions and have that credible information is so important. Mm -hmm. Now, Martha, before we start talking about your book, um, please explain the difference of eating during cancer treatment versus eating for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, 
I, I really feel that um, a ketogenic diet where you put your body into ketosis, so you actually have ketones circulating in your bloodstream is a really important tool um, because it ketones are a fabulous fuel for, um, for healthy cells, but not cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, fabulous for the time that you are actively fighting cancer. I don't believe that a strictly um, ketogenic diet or one that puts your body into deep ketosis is required to be healthy for the rest of your life. Um, I think that you need to find your own happy place with regards to food because we're all different and we all have different joys and, um, and concerns and life is too short to not enjoy the food that you're eating or the, you know, to make it something that is a stressor between you and the people in your life. So while I personally stayed strictly in ketosis for the, the five, six months that I was doing chemo, I was ready to relax that a little bit when the time came. So eating a healthy, uh, whole foods, omnivorous, <laughs> I'm not a plant-based, um, and you know, animal-based diet that is low, very low, hopefully in sugar, um, uses organic grains in particular, if you're going to use grains, use organic grains, including wheat. Okay. Even though wheat is not a genetically modified crop, it is a heavily sprayed crop in North America. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, use organic, if you're going to use grains, um, use animal foods, we are evolutionarily designed to eat animal foods, we are high level carnivore, almost scavengers in terms of our physiology. So um, animal foods are good, and healthy fats. That's the other big, big, big one in terms of inflammatory um, processes and stuff is to eat um, fats that are the way nature designed them, not the way a factory designed them. So that means stay away from industrial seed oils, corn oil, soya oil, canola oil, um, any of the, the light colored deodorized oils that you buy in the, in the grocery store and products, ultra processed products that are made with those oils or deep fried things that are, you know, cooked in those oils, stay away from those. There's nothing wrong with butter, olive oil, coconut oil, ghee, um, avocados, nuts, seeds um, in their natural form. I, I don't really promote nut oils, but mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with a modest amount of nuts and the, and the fats that are naturally occurring in those um, and animal fats. Like I say, um, there's nothing wrong with the fats that come on animals. Um, you know, more organic slash grass fed slash, you know, nat natural local if you can. But I mean, if you have to buy all of your grocery, your meat in the grocery store, or a Walmart or whatever, who cares? Mm -hmm. um, just stay away from those industrial seed oils. They're highly inflammatory. Mm -hmm. yeah, I so, hear that a lot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so a real life, rest of your life diet, ideally would be at least 80% that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then 20% pure joy, and yeah. whatever, whatever that means for you, right? So I tell people, 
if you're going to eat sweets or something that, you know, doesn't kind of fit with the plan or, or your, you know, your goals, make sure that it's something that truly makes your heart sing and savor every bite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, I don't care much about chocolate. Some people die for chocolate. I don't really care <laughs> about chocolate. Um, but if I saw like a homemade lemon bar, Mm-hmm. Right? or <laughs> that's different or cinnamon bun um, <laughs> or cheesecake like both sorts of things will will um truly make me happy and <laughs> I will eat a modest amount of those and enjoy every bite mm-hmm. chocolate chip cookie especially a commercial <laughs> one you know I absolutely couldn't care less yeah. so yeah so in you know the other 20 the other 20 percent might include alcohol mm-hmm. um you know, it might include eating out. Um, so just make sure that it doesn't become the 80%, you mm-hmm. know, make sure that for the most part, you're nourishing your body. So in other words, audience, make that 20% count, whatever that looks like for you. <laughs> make it joiful, make yeah. it a joyful 20%. Yes, yes. Sure that it feeds your soul <laughs> as well as your body. Mm-hmm. I like that. And so before we end, I definitely want to talk about your book, Hacking Chemo. So tell us what that's about, Martha. Sure. So Hacking Chemo is partly my story because I know that when I was newly diagnosed, I went looking for stories. I wanted to see people's stories. I looked online. I looked for blogs. I looked for YouTube videos. And it was hard to find people who were particularly of my generation because YouTube and stuff tends to be a younger person's domain. So the first part of the book is my story. And then the next part is sort of what I learned, which is a lot of the information about cancer metabolism and the keto diet and, and um, how nutritional interventions will impact on chemo. And then the third part is about implementing it. So it includes about 20 or 25 kind of comfort food recipes that I found helpful. So there's a, you know, there's some bread recipes. There's my magic keto flax bread, which was (laughs) my answer to the constipation issue. Um, Very effective. And, uh, and then there's some, you know, there's sort of a comfort food version of crackers and granola cereal and um, the cauliflower mac and cheese type recipes and those sorts of things. So they're, you know, there's lots of keto cookbooks out there. I just, I knew that, that there's times when you don't want to look at meat and broccoli, you want, you know, or vegetables, you want something that looks like comfort. And that's where um, there's a cream and mushroom soup recipe that's, that's keto and that kind of stuff. So some things that really kind of made, made for um, feel making you feel good comfort, mm-hmm. like say comfort foods for me anyways. And then the last part is, is the references. And there's a whole, um, the book is, is referenced with, um, with scientific articles and then other resources and that I used in sort of developing the program. So great. Great. And it's available on Amazon and, um, and a variety of digital platforms, both digital, like as an ebook and as a print on demand paperback and through Barnes and Noble and chapters in Canada and that kind of thing too. Wonderful. And Martha, you actually shared a link with me um, where people can go and get your book. And so I will include that in the lesson notes as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. would be the, 
the Amazon link probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you go to my website, which is just marthatettenborn.com, um, there's links to the to all the book um, availability stuff right on the homepage there as well. And the very first blog post I ever did was the chemo fasting protocol. So if anyone's <laughs> looking for it, I mean, it's all up there for free. Um, my, a lot of my recipes are on the blog, some of my own stories on the blog. Um, so, you know, if getting the book isn't within the ability of some of your, your audience, like I say, a lot of what I, I talk about is, is there for everybody to use anyways. Great. Thank you for sharing that, Martha. And in addition to all of the great information that you've shared with us, I want to ask you these two questions that I ask all of my guests. And the first one is, what is something that you've learned in life? that you would like to share with the audience? Um, well, in this process, I really learned that, um, that you really need to love your body, that you can't approach fixing it from a position of dislike or distrust or hatred. A lot of people, especially in the, the weight loss community and stuff, they come at their bodies from a position of, I hate where I am. I hate my body. You have to love your body. And particularly in terms of cancer, what I learned was that cancer is not a foreign invader. Mm-hmm. It didn't come in from outside. Cancer is our own cells. They're us, right? It is us. And it's misguided. And it's off on a tangent and it's not a good thing, but it's still us. And so I really had to um, learn to love the body that I had and all of its foibles um, and the challenges that I was going through. But I, I would go to bed every night and I'd put my hands on my belly in that, you know, that, that heart shape you make with your thumb mm-hmm. and your finger sort of thing. And I would just lay it on my lower belly and kind of go like, just aim love at that part of my body. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you can't, you can't go through a health process without loving, you know, without sending love to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people are so hard on themselves. We, yeah. we can send love to other people, but we, we won't, we won't cut ourselves any slack at all. And, mm-hmm. and so that was one of the things that I, I really learned. Um, yeah. Okay. That's question number one. <laughs> yeah, that that's really a great point is to love your body. And I have another question because um, you stated that, you know, cells are a part of us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't know it at the time that it's happening, but it's telling us something. What was cancer telling you? Um. I don't know that it was, I never thought about it as telling me something. Mm -hmm. I thought about, well, first, of course, I went through the stage where it was like, what the hell is this doing in my body? Yes. You know, um, like, how could I, my healthy self, you know, have this major health crisis? Um, I really think that it humbled me a lot (laughs) to go through this process because I can recognize that I was pretty darn smug as a dietitian who hadn't had much in the way of health issues. Um, I mean, I've always struggled with the same 20 pounds, you know, like most people do. Um, But it never really impacted on my 
health. And so I was healthy. I was smug about being healthy and the cancer really, um, say kind of came in and smacked me up the side of the head and made me realize that I wasn't, wasn't special. Um, and that I, I needed to be humble and, and it really helped has helped me to, um, to understand more what other people face in terms of health challenges. Mm -hmm. Not that it was any comparison to what others have gone through, both with cancer and with other, you know, conditions in their lives, both chronic and acute, but it certainly, um, it certainly was educational for me. Mm -hmm. And so Martha, the second question is what is next for you? Well, there's actually some really exciting stuff happening that I can't really tell anybody about okay. yet, All but right. it has come out of the fact that I wrote the book and that I have pivoted into this field of cancer nutrition. And um, so I am hopefully within the next couple of months going to be starting to work on some stuff with organizations in the States that are States and Canada that are specific to um cancer, um, diagnosis, treatment, um, and from the, the perspective of cancer nutrition. So, um, so there's some, there's some exciting stuff happening in my life, probably in the next six months, which is really cool. Good, good. And it's, it's such a wonderful thing when you can take something you're passionate about, share it with others and just watch that grow and blossom. So um, congratulations on what's coming up for you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Martha, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure talking with you today. And thank you for all the information that you've shared with us. I really appreciate being able to talk to the other cancer doula. <laughs> yeah. It was so cool to, to connect with you. Um, and, and yeah, I appreciate that it takes courage to, to do a podcast and have an audience. And I thank you so much for being able to talk to your audience and, and to you. You're so welcome. And um, just keep doing what you're doing, Martha. It, you're helping so many people. So as before, are you. thank you. Thank you. And before we leave today, I would like to give a shout out to the audience. Thank you for joining us. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.